0: Why aren't more young professionals choosing the advice industry? Why aren't industry? more women staying in advice? In a job that you're more passionate about female in your and the pace. financial industry, there are four males. Attracting majors. the best graduates to the financial advice industry. practices and industry partners do? The most important thing is to have the discussion. Welcome to Her Advice. Join us as we speak with inspiring and diverse leaders within the Australian advice industry. Listen in as we examine how we can encourage future leaders and continue to see the financial advice industry thrive and be inspired as experts reflect on what the future of financial advice could be. Welcome, I'm Tara Sutton, Head of Account Management at BT Financial Group. Before we begin today, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Turbal people here in Brisbane, and pay our respects to elders, both past and present. At BT, we're passionate about enabling quality advice to thrive. In this series, we're going to ask industry experts what we can do to create an industry that reflects all Australians. We're asking leaders in the industry why they are so passionate about financial advice and what they hope the future of advice looks like. And today I'm joined by Jess Harris a financial advisor within the MGD Wealth Group here in Brisbane. Welcome, Jess. Hi. Hi, Tara. Thanks for having me along. It's great to see you and hear from you. Jess, tell us, did you always want to be a financial advisor? No.
1: (laughs) I have always had a passion for finance and money and started out in a completely different industry in industrial consumables in a finance team of sorts. And very quickly rose into a position where I couldn't get enough finance in terms of, you know, there were other people in certain roles and I could get some exposure, but not enough. And somebody actually suggested going to uni and studying something in finance, but I didn't really know what couldn't put my finger on it. And one of the core subjects, which was financial planning one, is just sort of like one of the fundamentals in the very first lecture, we learned about just the basic, you know, superannuation investments, the whole concept of what financial advice is. And it pretty much wowed me. And I just remember thinking, what the? Nobody, what teaches about any of this? How do I get more of this out there into the world? I want to make sure my friends know about it, my family know about it. And so at the end of the lecture, I marched down the stairs and asked the lecturer, what do I Google on seek to get into this industry? What's the job I need to look for? And that was it so i went into a csm role approximately four months later and i've been in advice ever since
0: so google i want to say that's very millennial of you yeah
1: because i guess i understood that it's a financial advisor but i thought well, what's your entry level thing that i'm looking for you know how do i get my foot in the door here and then it was sort of sheer luck that i'd had a lot of experience i'd managed a team i'd done a number of things by the age of 21 that made me interesting or appealing to a financial advice practice, even though I had zero experience and I was six months into a degree. So there was, I'm sure, a bit of angst about whether or not I could perform in financial advice, given I didn't have background and most people don't look for green, but I think obviously proved that that didn't matter.
0: I like that you mentioned that most people don't look for green and we'll touch on that later. But Jess, fast forward, Now you've been in advice for almost 10 years. What really excites you about this profession?
1: Um, Partially that I get a kick out of helping other people. That can be in the way of helping clients in terms of educating them and things that they don't know about. And some of it's really simple and it just exists in this world that people don't know that it exists. And some of it's complicated and they need people like myself and other advisors to unpack it so there's helping people in that way and then there's helping people grow professionally and that's a different ball game and it doesn't really matter what profession you're in but in either instant it's mentoring or supporting other people to get the best out of their position and so in my role i've always been passionate about helping the other people around me to succeed and certainly i'm no expert you know i'm still on the journey and have plenty of people that are helping me be better in every facet of life but that excites me you know our industry is quite fun it's very busy and there are plenty of people that you meet and plenty of different networking opportunities you know that's how i met you tara um, and it's really nice that over the 10 odd years i've been in the industry the relationships and friendships that i've made that are both personal and professional and the people that you know that can support you or help you there's plenty of people out there that i think would say don't share your secret you know your financial advice secrets what are you doing and i i sort of think There's enough of a deficit of us out there and there's plenty of clients that need help. (laughs) I don't really think there's any secrets to hide at the end of the day. I think that we're all here for the one greater purpose. And on that, I think the thing that really excites me is when existing clients refer friends or family to me or to my colleagues and when they get it. You know, I really, again, coming back to that satisfaction of people, seeing the benefits and seeing that they feel like they're getting something out of it and that they're learning if they're referring people it's not that just that I'm doing a good job. It's that they get it, you know, the the whole reason I got into this was to educate more people and get a wider community understanding what they should be thinking about. And so the more people that refer, the
0: more we achieve that goal. I love so much about what you just said then. <laughs> In particular, you use the word fun. It is a fun profession. We get to see some pretty cool things. We get mm. some extraordinary speakers and then and most importantly we help clients reach their goals so thanks for using the word fun i hope everyone listening believes that <laughs> so jess what do you think some of the challenges facing our industry currently first foremost, i would say the outcomes of the royal
1: commission in the way of the decrease in volume of advisors i think that's making it difficult everyone's time poor, and we've got red tape Potentially QAR makes things easier, but when, how long's a piece of string? But a part of that exit stage right of, you know, thousands of advisors is also that you've got a mismatch of young advisors coming through, of which I am certainly one, who need education and training from experienced advisors. So part of that is, well, you're losing experienced advisors out of the industry, and part of that is experienced advisors are time poor, so they don't really have the time to help mentor and educate younger junior advisors. Part of that is also that there's a revenue-based attitude. And I think that it needs to incorporate a generational shift, which is typically most advisors don't want to share in their revenue because that's about how much money they get paid. And as a result of that, they're not going to share in their clients and they're not going to support other people in growth. They might do some of it, but not a lot of it. And so you've got people who want to learn and need opportunity, but they're not necessarily getting that because of this archaic way of structuring either a small or medium advice practice. That's certainly an issue in my opinion. The other thing that I would say is that I think misogyny still exists. So I can walk into a room with a wealthy male client and his wife and the response I get can often be quite direct and I can feel like the person I'm talking to is trying to shut me down and prove that they know more than me. Now that could be a male or a female but often more often than not it's the response from a male client who's not met me before or they're still relatively fresh to learning my style. Now for me I'm confident enough, use technical expertise and emotional intelligence to resolve that and move on. But not everyone is, and certainly not all females would be, and even junior male advisors. You know, I've been in rooms with associates who are male who struggled to respond to that. So I think this way that the industry used to be about the people involved and the types of conversations that you have and a commission-led kind of structure has somewhat tainted the ability for younger people to come through with as much experience as they could get. Sure.
0: Do you feel like you have to work harder to earn the respect and trust from clients than either older colleagues or male colleagues? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And there would be, and I'm not saying that this is wrong, but there are certainly male colleagues that say, He's just gonna want me in the room because I'm a male. And we just have to be okay with that. And sure, it gets the job done, it gets the bills paid. But why?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I'm strong enough and competent enough to go whatever. And actually I'd I'd challenge you and say, Don't come in the room and we'll still be okay. <laughs> but I also wonder, do we need to say that if you were a lesser competent version of me and you had a manager saying that to you, does that just make you feel Like you don't belong in the room where you can't speak.
0: Yeah. It's a really interesting comment that you've made and one that I resonate with. But I do think Jess, that this is why it is so important for you to stay in our industry, for you to continue to be mentored and to be a mentor to others. Hmm. Because by having a loud voice and by wanting to do something about it, you're already affecting change. You'd be influencing the practice you work in, the people that see you work Mm. every day, your clients would see how capable you are. So even just having the courage to say those words out loud, Mm. yeah, you should be proud of that. That's true. Thanks Tara. And
1: certainly, you know, I would say where I work today, is sort of none of those things. You know, I'm here because there is this revenue-based attitude and there's the, a drive to try and ensure that I can be in any room. It was actually very intentional to hire a young female advisor and put them in front of clients as part of a succession plan and to be a part of a shift.
0: But thank you. <laughs> Jesse in your career, so 10 years in financial advice, have you connected with other women and does seeing and connecting with other women help? So my background is my
1: mentor was a female who supported me through being a CSM and then brought me through effectively an associate and Pete scenario and into the successful advisor I am today. But it wasn't just that from a technical and skill set perspective. It was everything that she championed me to go along to. So I was going to BDM events and investment updates and, you know, meeting a bunch of people and collaborating with her network and colleagues. And I think it's really critical that Everyone has that network and part of that is if you're a younger person, be it female or male, you need the opportunity to be around those people because otherwise right now everyone's network is the older generation or the more experienced who already have their network. So how are we supporting the new advisors that are coming through with their network? And so I think it's really critical particularly for women to have Avenues that aren't just about going to lunches and playing golf that they can use to support and pull each other up.
0: In Brisbane, we do have a very informal brekkie club going and Jess has recently attended that. And first brekkie club, Jess was green but very open. Immediately got texts from all the other women, bring her back. <laughs> we said, of course. And what I loved about the next time you came, Jess, is you had a problem that you wanted our help with solving, and you sat down and you said, right, this is happening at work and I don't know how to make this situation better. What do you think?
1: Yeah, because I remember thinking this is a problem and I need to ask someone. So I think having the right strong people around you and sometimes it's hard to find who they are, but I think it's really critical.
0: You mentioned earlier that one of the things you like about financial advice is the fact you get the opportunity to help young people forge their career. Mm -hmm. So are you officially a mentor to anyone?
1: Well, nobody has tapped me on the shoulder and said, please be my mentor. There are certainly one or two women who often come to me with their questions. Like I came to the breakfast group with, you know, this is the situation that I'm in, this is what's happened. How should I handle it? What would you do? I'm quite vocal. I see someone in terms of, you know, an opportunity or a lost opportunity. I'm the first person to go and tap them on the shoulder and go, you should be thinking about it this way. And if I were you, I would approach, do, do, do. Part of that is because of what could have happened to me had I not had the right person holding my hand and pulling me through at my previous
0: employer. And part of that is I'm just a strong, vocal millennial. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about depleting financial advisor numbers, and we know that Women only currently represent about 20% of the financial advisors in Australia. What do you think the benefits are to attracting more women into financial advice? Women bring a keen eye for
1: emotional interaction or emotional responses. I've been in many meetings with men and I can see in particular women responding in a certain way to questions. And be it their body language or their actual, their tone change. And, yeah, you know, I've sort of picked up, oh, that, she did not really like that comment or she's not comfortable with the way that that was phrased. And I'm then pivoted to a different avenue. And after the fact, I've spoken to the male advisors or male colleagues in the room and said, oh, did you see, you know, when she kind of went a bit quiet and they're like, oh no, I didn't notice at all. And so I just think part of our point of difference is what you pick up on and the fact that actually our emotional intellect is a advantage, something that actually shouldn't be looked at as shameful, but if you can utilize your emotional intelligence in a way that actually provides a stronger outcome and a better relationship with the people that you're speaking to, I think that that adds a lot of value because financial advice is largely about relationships. The other benefit in attracting more women to financial advice is just having more like-minded people who feel empowered on the journey there needs to be people like me being vocal enough to want to see that change to encourage other people along that journey you know here at mgd there's a bunch of support staff who are mostly female and they've been invited to go to lunches or some type of support staff event and i sent that around to everyone and said go to this thing, you know, you need get, get out of your desk, get out of the nest and go and meet people. And I'll come with you and I'll introduce you to some people. And I just think the way that we attract more people is to be out there doing the things. It's kind of like the same way we attract clients. I think we need to show the fun side of what financial advice is. I think we need to show that it's a community, you know, it's bloody tough at times, the laws and the changes and the volume. And I think power to community.
0: Oh, Jess, some advisors or business owners are not willing to take on advisors in their professional year. Can you explain to me why and what we can do about that? My spidey senses are, because I went
1: through my professional year, is it is expense to the bottom line for a period of time. So professional year is four quarters and in your first two quarters you can't do anything on your own so you're essentially your salary and whoever's supervising you's salary doing the same thing so what worked really well for me was that I had been a CSM and whilst I was a CSM I was actively looking at how do I get to advisor role And so that meant sitting in on meetings and starting to write file notes and starting to say, if I was the advisor, this is the strategy. So it wasn't as if I came straight in off the street and said, yeah, put me on your books as a professional year. You have a report, you have a track record, and you've proven that actually you're capable of supporting that business and making the money once you're outside of your six month window or whatever it might be. Also, you can fast track some of the quarters in your professional year if you can prove that you meet the requirements before you started your professional year. So I had been a CSM for more than six years and I'd been actively sitting in on meetings and coming up with strategy and talking to the advisor about what I would do for approximately two and a half years. So my six month window was able to be shaved down to two and a half month window So you're just kind of using your strong skill set and position to utilize your opportunity to move into your professional year. But I also think advisors should see it as a benefit because the advisor whose meetings I was sitting in on, I wrote all the file notes. I told her what the strategy would be. She just checked my work and she had time to go and do other things. We also, where I did my professional year, had one supervisor with many different advisors Sitting with me, and what that meant is that I learned from a bunch of different advisors. It also meant that it wasn't the burden for one person to carry, and so there was a couple of weeks with many different people. So, what I would encourage people out there to do is remember there ain't enough of you to support all of the clients, and you need to champion bringing other people through. Set a pathway for people from CSM world into professional year candidate. Talk to the people who have been in their PY, talk to the people who have been supervisors and hear how they did it that is kind of how our industry has evolved you know what are you doing with FDS how are you writing your SOAs are you doing digital SOA all of that stuff we just talk to each other about it I don't actually think it's as hard as people are making it out to be just not, not enough people are doing it and so therefore they're not confident in it and I would say that it was one of the best experiences for me because I learned from 11 different advisors and I had structure the PY is structured so it was so good I didn't spend six years in associate land wondering when I was going to be an advisor. I knew the time frame. I knew what I needed to achieve. I knew what I was accountable for. And there was also needed to be a structure though, I would say, when you exit your professional year, you, you need to give people guidance and let them know what their role looks like. Are they looking after a book, a new business? Where is that coming from? Are they a new business advisor?
0: What is your goal for them? Jess, thanks for chatting with us today and sharing how you found your way into financial advice. I've written down a few words to describe you. I really think you were the voice a lot of people needed to hear today. So I wrote down strong, caring, considerate, prepared, and I wrote down vocal millennial. We're so glad that you took the plunge and can now see yourself thriving in a career you love. So thanks for joining us, Jess. Thanks, Tara. That's great. And I I really like your little summary
1: of that. And I'm going to go around the office with the old vocal millennial and make sure I'm pretty certain everyone already knows it. But (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you.
0: This podcast is for advisor use only. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the presenters' personal opinions. BT accepts no responsibility for the content of the podcasts. Comments may not be attributed to BT or other participants without prior permission. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.